Well, uh, Saints, we, we, we have a lot to cover today, and I'm excited about it. So uh, today is the 30th of September, and uh, it's 2012 on our Gregorian calendar. And uh, the Hebrew calendar puts us at the 14th of Tishri, the year 5,773. If that's confusing to you to have two different calendars, it should never surprise you that God's people keep time a little differently than the world, mm. right? We, we, we walk to the beat of a different drummer. Our pace is set for different reasons. The Holy Ghost compels us to be selfless. The spirit of the world compels them to be selfish. And our job, not shellfish, but selfish, our job is to be a shining light. We've just moved through the the trumpets of Rosh Hashanah and the national salvation that is foreshadowed at Yom Kippur. Tonight, roughly around sundown, is the 15th of Tishri. Guys, that is exactly six months after Passover. Six months to complete, a, a unit of six to complete God's plan. And the Jewish people all over the world will celebrate Sukkot or Tabernacles. I am not teaching on Tabernacles today, at least not in depth. And I didn't teach on Yom Kippur uh, Wednesday. And it hurts not to do that. But I want to put a list of messages on the screen that you can uh, look up, that you can listen to if you're interested in these things. The first one is called the Seven Feast of Israel. That is an overview that was done uh, seven, eight years ago. Rosh Hashanah is the feast that uh, was just a few days ago. And, uh, and that is a message. Rosh Hashanah, the last trumpet. Takeaway deals with... Yom Kippur, Islam and Yom Kippur obviously deals with Yom Kippur. Goat and all of the above deals with Passover and Yom Kippur. A whole lot of bull. That is a, a, a creative name for the Feast of Tabernacles, a message on the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, the last one, Sukkot, is the Hebrew name for Tabernacles. All these can be found online. And if you were really hungry, each one of those is about an hour and a half. That will... That would be sufficient to explain it to you. Fair enough? So I can move on with, with where the Lord has really moved my heart tonight. And you'll see they all interlace. They all overlap. But I just cannot retread the same ground every year. We don't follow a lectionary. We don't follow uh, some systematic um, pull your notes from the same month last year and follow it kind of thing. We're trying to be sensitive to the Spirit in here. Wednesday night. Who was here on Wednesday? Raise your hand if you were here. Praise God, most of the church. Our message was called Seven Beers in Salvation. I, I realize that will offend all of the religious world, and that's just fine with me. It's neither an endorsement of beer, nor is it an encouragement of liquid courage to share salvation. Seven Beers in Salvation was a, a title meant to be humorous that has to do with the Hebrew word beer, and it means well. There was a place called Beersheba that had to do with seven wells. Abraham marked it. It was life-giving. It was important. The well of salvation had to be marked with an everlasting tamarisk tree, something that would be green in season and out so that God's people could always find the water that they needed. And of course, he was not simply talking about water. Abraham did not put the water in the well. Amen? Amen. Salvation is of the Jews. It's from the Jews. But the Jews cannot manufacture Salvation. It is the gift of God to all men. They simply marked the way to it like Abraham dug that well. Isaac, the promised son, he fought with the enemy. He contended with the enemy who was always trying to stop up the well of salvation. 
They were always trying to shove dirt into it. They were trying to block it off so that it wouldn't flow freely. But the promised son came to reopen the well so that all men would experience salvation. God wants all men to be saved. Lastly, in that message, we looked at Ishmael's life. If you've ever been the child that was not favored, if you have ever been the one that felt like an outcast, you ought to be able to relate to Ishmael. But we need to know that the living God opened his eyes and he drank from the same well that Isaac did in the desert of Beersheba. Our God wants all men to be saved. He has used Israel to clearly mark the way. But he desires that everyone drinks from that well. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Today we're going to pick up on that topic of the well. Is that fair? Yes. Can we do that? Yes. Why don't we do this? Let's pray that God would open up our lives. That God would remove the earth from our lives. That the well of salvation in us might overflow to the world. Because you're Christ's ambassadors. Let's pray together. Mighty God, we just ask that you would open our lives, Lord, that you would open up the well of our lives that the enemy has filled with earth. Lord, we repent now of our own carnality, our own worldliness, and we say, Lord, strip it away. Move in us now to create a holy people and a holy bride that the, that the whole world might see and be saved because of your goodness. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Guys, it's worth noting when we think about this that in Genesis 24, Isaac met Rebekah at a well. In Genesis 29, the other patriarch, Jacob, he got Rachel at a well. In Exodus 2, Moses met Zipporah at a well. For whatever reason, the bride of Christ is eternally associated with being at the source of life there to meet the Son of God, the promised Son. John 4, starting in the 13th verse, Jesus said it this way. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I would like to challenge the notion that says you drink of Jesus and are good to go. I would like to challenge the notion that says you walk to an altar, pray a prescribed prayer, and you are good to go. I would like to tell you that if Jesus did not become in you a spring welling up, constantly overflowing to others, then we fell short of what He intended for us. Right. He told this woman that the water He gave her would become a spring of water. A spring is a source, friends. Let me ask you, are you a source of life for the world? Amen. Are you a friend of the world? Are you in a place where your life is overflowing, teaching about the goodness of God through your actions, practical deeds, expressing your faith? Or are we simply like everyone else? Because I can assure you, when you drive down 59 in the morning and you look around, you'll see a spring of all kind of things, but none of it is living water. Yeah? Right. Get a little too close to somebody and you get a one-finger salute. You, uh, you ride uh, too slow and somebody behind <laughs> you will announce their presence, not with Rosh Hashanah, but with a horn of anger from their car. They are not overflowing with life. But we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the light of the world. Guys, we're supposed to be the city 
on the hill. So I said, let's take a drink of Jesus this morning. Amen. I have something welling up in me. I have an excitement in me that is not to be a cheerleader on the stage preaching a sermon. I really believe that men just like Spencer, just like Gabriel, men just like Charlie, just like Alex can change the world because of what God put in them. Come on now, somebody say hallelujah. It has nothing to do with the container. It has everything to do with the contents. So let me ask you, what are you filled with? The latest episode of Lost? Come on, you spent enough time lost. What are you filled with? The latest Fox News broadcast? I love Fox News, and it's better than the Communist News Network. But let me say this. It will not bring you life. Come on, living water in Hebrew is high mine. This is the kind of life that entered into Adam and he became a living being. It flows from God. And he put it in you so that it could flow from you. And if you don't have enough, guess what, friends? There's more. <laughs> you didn't get all you could have. It's okay. The door is not yet closed. We can drink again. I want to develop a Holy Ghost drinking problem. I would like for people to look and say, is that guy drunk? And somebody else say, not in the way that you think, not as you suppose. He's just very filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come on, where's that old Pentecostal anthem, right? But something has happened. Something has happened. We've divided into two groups, just like this room. Although you're not divided in this way. One says, no, 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 you get all the drink you'll ever get at the moment you pray the prescribed prayer. The other one says, oh, no, no, man, there's more, there's more, there's more. And the moment you speak in tongues, you get it, and that's all you'll ever get. It's right there. And they're both wrong. Amen. We're supposed to be being filled. Amen. We're supposed to be overflowing. It's supposed to be an inexhaustible source. And because you started in a thing, whether it's salvation or the gifts of the Holy Ghost, does not mean you're done with it. Amen. It's supposed to be an ongoing living breathing thing inside of you. Come on now. Come on. So those of you that at some point in your life moved in a spiritual gift, let's do it again. Let's do it today. We just went through a worship service. Did you walk in and say, Lord, I, you've done it before. You can do it again. Let's go. Those of you that were lied to and told, you got all you can have. You better run on it because that one experience is all there is. I'm here to tell you, look around. We've all had more than that one experience. Absolutely. He saved me then. He's saving me now. And he'll probably have to save me again next week. Amen. I'm going to get myself into trouble. And yet my salvation is eternal. And it's as secure as my relationship with him. But I need his spirit in me. Amen. Come on now. Whether he, it, it leaks out, is given out, or I just walk away. I don't know how all of that works. We'll let somebody else figure that out. But I know that the great men of God were filled in Acts 2. They were filled again in Acts 4. They were filled again in Acts 8, in Acts 9, in Acts 10. And throughout the history of the church, they were filled and filled and filled and filled. Because we're supposed to have an inexhaustible source. Come on now, is your source inexhaustible? Amen. Are you still running on yesterday's bread? Or do you have it fresh again today? Amen. Is your source that eternal spring? When he went on from John 4, he said in Revelation 21, this is among the last things that Jesus said in his canon of Scripture. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. A clever way to say the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cause. What is the qualification for a drink with God? Thirst. He will not force you. This is not IV. 
He will not simply prick you with a needle and make it flow into you while you're strapped to a bed. He will not do that. The requirement is that you thirst for Him. He said this uh, on a mountain on the Sea of Galilee beside it where He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they will be filled. He said nothing of the hearers of the Word. He said nothing of the religious establishment. He said nothing of those who were in the brothels and the bars. He simply said those who thirst, and you could come from any one of those groups if you were thirsty, and He would give you righteousness. Amen. Come on now, this is not something that was owned by a religious establishment. It is given without cost by the Son of God. And what is the requirement? Thirst, so I'm asking you, are you thirsty? Yes. Or are you full? See, you would think to be full would be good, right? Are you full of God's Spirit? Are you full? We're the full gospel. We have the, the full life. The full, the full, the full. And it's true that Jesus said He came to give you life and life to the fullest. But if you're full, it means you're not pouring out. If you're full, it means you became a, a spiritual safety deposit box. You, you said, I got some of the Holy Ghost and I'm going to hang on to it. And you can't. He was made to be in you a spring of living water. So you get full to pour out. This is the gospel truth. You're only asking Him to deposit in you so that you can deposit in others. Amen, Elizabeth? You're with me this morning? You're only asking for Him to touch you so that you can go touch others. So full to what purpose? Come on, filled for what purpose? So... So that you can have a, a Holy Ghost merit badge? No. Oh, I prophesy in tongues, do you? I, I, uh, I, I have the gift of faith, do you? Well, good for you. You also have the gift of a staggering pride. How are you doing? There's a hole in front of you. You're about to fall in. What we are looking for are those who want to do something for God. The supernatural empowerment of God to, to, to do something. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Come on. How about this one in 1 Corinthians 12? It's the 13th verse. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Who puts you in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit does. John 6.44 says you cannot be saved unless the Spirit of the Father draw you. There is only one way to approach salvation. The Holy Spirit must draw you. Is it honest? Yeah. Whether Jew or Gentile, I'm sorry, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. There was a time when you were placed in the body by the Spirit. But as a member of the body, you became entitled to drink from the living God. He was to fill you and fill you and fill you. Come on now, how many of you would go dig a well, say, <laughs> I hit water, and then never drink from it again? Anybody in here buy more than one bottle of water this week? Anybody in here had a, more than a single glass of water this week? You mean to tell me you didn't walk out in front of your house and announce to the whole world, I have water. It's a done deal. And then walk away never to drink again? This is what the church is doing by proclaiming salvation as a prayer at an altar. Salvation starts somewhere. Amen to that. But it is a life of dependency upon the power of God who will move you to keep His decrees, move you to walk in His ways. He empowers you to be like Him. Amen. This is why it is said that those who love Him obey Him. Come on now. I want to talk to you about a miraculous mixture. 
of heaven and earth, or earth and heaven. While we're on the subject of wells and springs, you've heard me talk many times about John Gibson Patton. He's, he's the missionary who went to the New Hebride Islands, today called Vanuatu. I won't retread all of that ground, but I do want to remind you so that it will jog you to memory some of the things that he said. He said, if I die here in Glasgow, I shall be eaten by worms. If I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. For in the great day of my resurrection, my body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. This was his response to a man who was discouraging him, saying, don't go there, they will eat you. He said, in that great day, I will rise just as well as you. But he's going to rise to see Jesus. Come on, that's a bold man, is it not? Yeah. I am so happy about the homeschool co-op. Those of you who are doing that, thank you for pouring out your life. There's some 17 children who are being blessed by that. And let me tell you how it blessed me. My little girl came home the other day, and she didn't know the missionary's name, but I did. She said, Daddy, Daddy, I, I want to tell you a story about a well. Come on now, could that be God? I've been preaching about a well. My little girl, seven years old, right? Far from perfect. We had to spank her twice yesterday, right? <laughs> and today is not over, so there's no telling what will happen. But she wanted to tell me a story about a well. Here's a little bit about it as follows. We're in the mid-1800s. There's a chief named Namakai, and he's completely subject to a witch doctor. See, the witch doctor has the only cistern on the island called Anawa. And it doesn't rain very often. So when the chief needs water for his people, like Moses needed water in the desert, the witch doctor says, I'm sorry, there's no water to be found. But he claimed to control the weather. He claimed to have supernatural power. So the chief began to worship the things that the witch doctor worshipped. And he began to bring bigger and bigger offerings. See, the religion of the world, no matter what Christly garment it wears, it is always about extortion. It's never about liberation. Amen. So this witch doctor is extorting the people. And a man named John Gibson Patton happened to have been on the island. Now, at this time in his life, guys, he has been uh, shot at. He has been chased off of the island and into a boat where he had to escape by his life. Several times men raised fears, and he said he didn't know what to do, so he rushed at them as if to attack. Stand up, Matthew. He rushed at them as if to attack because the spear, the spear was held. Hold the spear. He rushed and he... And said, I love you in the name of Jesus. And didn't let go until I put the spear down. He figured this was the best way to keep from getting stuck with a spear. What an amazing, amazing man of God. Right? So I never have told you guys the way in which he converted the majority of what today is the Vanuatu <coughs> Islands. He saw what was happening with the witch doctor. And he said, you know what? It's possible to get water out of the ground. People said, no, there's no water in the ground. You have to understand on the island of Anawa, you could get to a high place and you could look and you could see the sea. Then you could look that way and see the sea and that way and that way. The natives actually believed that if you dug deep enough in their island, you would fall out the bottom and the sharks would eat you. Right? They had never seen water come from the ground. And John said, no, you can get water out of the ground. So he began to dig and he asked people to dig with him and they said, no, that's women's work. 
They wouldn't do it. So he bribed them with metal fish hooks and said, dig with me. There is water here and I will give it to you free without cost and it will bring you life and it will break your subjugation to this witch doctor. You know who was not happy about this? The witch doctor. So he stands in the distance and he calls down curses and on the third day the well collapsed one side of it. All of the natives gave up. They didn't want to dig anymore. So with blisters on his hands and a sore back, a man who was in his mid-thirties at this point <coughs> continues to dig. The witch doctor covered in monkey bones and shark's teeth and all of the instruments of his worship continued to curse. He continued to call down uh, a devilish obstacles in the way. But John continued to dig because it is our job to reopen the wells of salvation. Amen. He noticed that the dirt became damp. Everybody was scared he was about to fall out the other side. <laughs> and then with one more shovel strike, water filled the hole. He reached down into the water and tasted it. He said, taste and see. It is good. Amen. Come on now, said, taste and see. It is good. But they were scared. They'd never seen anything like this. They'd never seen water come out of the earth. So at first, the chief comes down, Namakai, <coughs> And he sticks his finger in it. You know anybody trying to stick their finger in the presence of God? Yeah. Yeah. And then he put his hands in it. And then he splashed his face in it. <coughs> Sometimes we've got to give people a little room to start wherever they can. Amen. And then he tasted of it. And he turned and yelled to everyone there, the earth has produced rain. Now I want you to think about that. From an ancient man's perspective, rain came from the heavens. The man was marveling at the miraculous. I'm looking at earth and yet there's something heavenly in it. Something life-giving in it. Something has come right out of the earthly substance and it is bringing me life. He immediately called a uh, island-wide prohibition against the idolatry that the witch doctor had always practiced. And there was free water for every human being without cost. And the island was converted that day. Amen. You know what the world needs, friend? They need that water without cost. Yes. They need the supernatural power of God coming out of earthen vessels. Regular people just like them, but they see there is something more in it. Come on, is there an amen for that? Amen. amen. They didn't know how big of a miracle it was, but as of 1993, when the book my daughter was reading was published, no other person in any attempt ever successfully dug a freshwater well in the island. Many tried. It was always salt water. Now, if he had dug a water and it was a well and it was salty water, it would have confirmed their fears. The only good well on the island of Anawa today is the one the man of God had the courage to dig. Do you think God is leading your footsteps? You're not here by mistake, friend. This is not just a one opinion among many. Well, you know, the Presbyterians say this, the Methodists say that, the Pentecostals say this. The living God is leading us to be right where we're supposed to be. So that when you put your shovel in the ground, you'll get out of it what God had destined for you. Amen. But it takes somebody who is willing to risk their life among the cannibals, somebody who is willing to shove their their shovel into the soil, not once or twice, even when it collapses, but as many times as it takes. How thirsty are you? Come on now, how thirsty 
are you? Will you give up if you try and, and don't succeed? Will you give up if you try a second time? If your well is collapsing on you, do you give up or you, do you keep going because you trust the living God says there is water here? See, so many times we try God like an investment program. We try Him like a 12-step program. We try Him like a formula to be had. And He's something to be completely abandoned to. He's something that is so scary, so awesome, so powerful that He consumes your whole life or else He really doesn't have any of your life. This is the truth, friends. He cannot be a part of your life neatly compartmentalized on Wednesday and Sunday. He's all of your life or He's not really any of your life. You just have your finger in it, right? But can anybody, can anybody absorb the life-giving power of water by sticking their finger in it? Do we have a fish in the group? You can't get that life-giving water even by splashing it on you, hanging around it. You cannot get that water unless you are drinking it. So I tell you, the children of God must drink of the Spirit of Amen. God. Come on, are you hearing me today? Yeah. We must drink of the Spirit of God. Turn with me to Genesis 2. We'll be in the 7th verse. Say there when you're there. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Come on, this hints at Pentecost. You, you won't see that in English, but I want to tell you that the word for the breath of life is Nashima Chai. Nashima does not just mean a breath of life as in if you've ever been around somebody when they were dying, they gasp for air. <gasps> An asthmatic. Somebody who, it sounds violent, traumatic. They travail for this breath. Nashima means a violent or rushing wind. Where have you heard that before? You heard this on the day of Pentecost. They heard the sound of a violent, rushing wind. It was the living God breathing into the nostrils of the church. The power that would cause it to become a living church for the ages. Yes. This verse happened to Adam because it's God's plan for all mankind. Not just some part of mankind. It's His plan for all. He breathed Nashima, a violent, rushing wind into Adam and the result was life. So it says he became a living soul or a living being. That is high. It's the life of God. It's that indestructible life. It is the gift of God. Think about the miraculous here. This is like that well. It's something of the earth and something of the heavens and they've merged in a supernatural way. You know, the word Adam literally means dirt. You feeling better about your family name yet? It literally means dirt. But it became more than dirt when God's supernatural spirit entered into his body. Yes. It changed him. It changed him forever. Come on, this is supposed to be the supernatural state of mankind. This scripture hints at Pentecost. It hints at the miracle of the heavenly and earthly union that is a witness of God. It also hints at our lifelong pursuit to become more than just dirt. See, there's a part of us that is just like that earth stopped well. 
There's a part of us that sides with the enemy, a part of us that is called Yetzirah, the evil inclination. It's the part that is inclined to do what is wrong. There's a part of you that is just dirt. But when God sends His Spirit into you, you become more than dirt. Because you're not subject to the desires of the dirt. You are not uh, uh, a slave anymore to what once bound you. Now you have the power to command the dirt to do what you tell it to do. Amen. Come on now. Amen. There's not a person in here that is free from an evil inclination. But many of you have been so empowered by God that you can tell it no in Jesus yes. This caused the Apostle Paul to go, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? But praise God for Romans 8. The spirit of life has set me free. This is what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not just speaking in other tongues. That was just a place to start. It's not just prophesying. That's part of the manifestation of what happens when you get full of God. You speak to each other by the Spirit of God and the manifestations of God happen. And you see why the devil has worked so hard to rob the church of these things. He wants us to look like everybody else. In other words, just dirt. Nothing more dirt than a sentence. Uh, in the sense that it believes in God. Dirt in the, that is trying to be good dirt, but it's still dirt. Jesus Christ did not die to make bad men good men. He never died for that. He died to make dead men live. Yeah. This was what He died for, to breathe life into our situation. Yeah. To not and high results. So y'all say to me, yeah, you have to have some milk in your throat, right? So you just ate a donut, you just big gallon of milk, and, and hi, hi, how are you? It, it is, uh, it requires breath just to say it. Hi. It's such a common thing in Israel that they take it for granted, just like we take for granted the word life. But friends, it is a gift of God. Why would we refuse it? Why would we say, well, you know, that, that just... Um, that, that's how they worship, but we all worship differently. I want all the high I can get. Amen. I want every bit of it. I want to breathe all He will blow into me. And it turns out that He gives the Spirit without limit. Amen. We're the ones that place limitations Amen. on it. Come on, turn with me from Genesis to Jeremiah 2. Tell me when you're there. I need you all to move with me today so we can get through the Word. I want to teach you something. I want to plant something in you. There. I hope you don't come here to be bored. No. I hope you don't come here so I can tell you what you already know about God in some new and exciting way. This is why most people go to church. Don't surprise us. Don't scare us. Don't challenge us. In fact, give us 13 points we can all agree on. We'll sit here and we'll nod. Yes. Yes, yes. This is right. It's been right for 50 years. It'll be right for another 100 years. And meanwhile, we're just dirt. Nothing supernatural, nothing powerful, nothing that anybody is craving for. Just potting soil, man. But when God breathes in, He challenges every part of your being. He looks at the way that you were brought up. He looks at everything that you've believed. And He has a way of turning it upside down. This is not commentary on mom and dad. It's not commentary on a denomination or a church that's been a blessing to you. It's commentary on man's natural inclination to become just dirt. And God calling us to become more than dirt. Yeah. Come on. Abraham couldn't put water in the well. He could only show the way. 
Nobody can do this for you. I cannot make a teenager in my house be born again. I cannot make somebody who's walked through our church doors be born again. All I can do is clearly mark the way and say, if you are thirsty, He will give it to you. But they need to be thirsty. We cannot force feed this to anyone. This is why we don't... Uh, we don't build a big amusement park and come and say, how oh, the ticket for the ride? The ticket for the ride is ascension to these 14 points. What we simply do is say, I'm dirt, and yet there's something more than that in me. If you want this, if you want it, he will do it for you just like he did it for me. Are you in Jeremiah too? Yes. Come on. Good Lord, that's small up there, Joy. Um, why don't we do this? We'll read it together. You don't need a screen, huh? Jeremiah 2, verse 8. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. Oh my goodness, did you hear that? Those who deal with the law did not know me. You mean that there would be people who would know the word of God, but not know God? Man, you can go to church after church and not even find people that know the word of God, much less know God. You mean it's possible to also know the word and not know him? Didn't 2 Timothy 3, 5 say that there would be a day when people would have a form of godliness but deny its very power? In other words, they look like everybody else. But there is nothing supernatural in them. In John 5, 39 and 40, Jesus said, you, you read the scripture, you study it diligently because you think that by it you have life, yet you refuse to come to me and have high life. Could it be that we're ever learning and never perceiving? Could it be that the very book we hold in our laps was meant to be a living, breathing, powerful thing deposited in us, overflowing out of us, and instead we've laid down right next to it and said, I I'm good, I'm good, are, are you good? Don't look any closer because I, I, we're good here. Hey, let me just ask, because we're all friends, right? So, so I woke up to Jason in the mall, right? And uh, I'm like, sup? What's he say? Yeah. Uh, what's up? I said, man, how, how you doing? Course. Is there anybody here who's going to say anything other than that? Anybody going to look at you and say, I'm broken inside. There's got to be something more in life than I'm experiencing. I keep doing all the things that I know to do, but I don't feel any life in it. And I'm worried that somehow I'm losing faith. I'm worried that my children are not a reflection of God. They might be a reflection of me and it scares me because I don't like what I see. Is there anybody here that answers that question honestly? At best, after you establish a relationship and you probe and you push, we get these kind of things out of each other. I am proud of this church. I get emails from you. I get phone calls from you. I sit and talk to you and I hear people speak about the real things in life. I want all there is of God, one man said. All of it. But I'm going to confess to you, I don't really know what that means. This was the most honest, most powerful thing anybody said to me in years because the truth is that it's every human being's position. It's a lifetime pursuit figuring out all that that means. The problem with man is that we've defined it in four little points of what it means and we say this is what it is to be full of God. You mean that's it? God is bigger than that, friends. He's bigger than that. You can't put Him in your bucket. He will overflow it every time. The best we can do is point people to a place to start. Come on now. But if we act like the starting line is the finish line, we have deceived them and us. Yes. The starting line is not the finish line. 
Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore I bring charges against you, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coast of Ketim and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has any nation changed its gods? Yet they're not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Exchanged glory for worthless idols. This is going on all around us, friends. We have exchanged expediency. We have exchanged programs. We have exchanged a feel-good business gospel for the power of God that is frightening and daring and awesome and glorious and unpredictable and full of power. We have exchanged it for a safer, tamer version. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, Chaimine, and have dug their own cisterns. It's not, it's not enough to have just dug our own cisterns. We don't realize that in doing this, we're actually rejecting Jesus while we claim to follow him. Acts 7.51 is Stephen before the Sanhedrin. He's about to be stoned and he walks Israel through their history and he doesn't say you won't follow Yahweh God. He doesn't say you wouldn't accept Yeshua. He didn't say any of those things. He said you'll always resist the Holy Spirit. See, the religious movement in the world, what it does is it neatly, legally defines everything that we're supposed to believe, but then refuses Jesus when he says, do something. One author of a book said his greatest fear was that even now, knowing all that he knows, he would refuse Jesus when he asked him for something. This is also a fear of mine. But we know that we're following him when the answer is yes, and we don't know what the question is. We do. We know that we're following him when no matter what he says, the answer is yes. And that is such an easy thing to say when you don't know what he'll ask. But once you start to get the idea that he'll send the man to the Hebride Islands to face cannibals, he'll let him lose his wife and his firstborn son because he cares that much about the people that are there. And in the end... Your sacrifice was not worthless. The whole chain of islands got born again. He will let that happen for His glory because your life belongs to Him. Now are we sure that we're saying yes when we don't know what the question is? See, this is a radical, daring gospel. It's anything but what it's presented as. Three points in a poem. Come to an altar and pray and send me a check and we're all good. It is so much more than that. He literally wants your life. Now we could focus all day long on those that are outside. Outside these walls, outside everybody else. But if I'm not supposed to preach to you, who would I be preaching to? See, the real issue are those who are sitting next to the well. Those with their fingers in it. Those that maybe want strength of it, but have stopped now. That's the real issue. And you know what? It's the majority. That's why Jesus could say the love of most will grow cold. That's why he could say it. it he, he's not saying some are damned. He's saying some have grown cold. Where are you at with your walk? Is it alive? Is it daring? 
Is it bold? Are you, are you walking in new directions with the Lord? Are you catching heavenly inspiration of violent wind entering you, changing your direction? Or has it become stagnant for us? See, we think of the baptism in the Holy Ghost as one-time wind. And I'm telling you it is an every-time kind of thing. Amen. My deepest prayer this morning was that I'd get baptized in the Holy Ghost again. And I have been praying in other tongues every day, all day, for 20 years. It's so much more than that. I want to be more than dirt. And I surely don't want to be dirty. Our programs, our religion, our psychology, our philosophy is a broken cistern. And ultimately it cannot have high mind. It cannot have living water. God charged his own people, the most religious people on the planet, with this sin. He said, you are forever creating a substitute for me. You are forever leaning on something that will never please you. Do you really think that Jeremiah's word would be different to us? Let's just say that you woke up on a Saturday morning and you didn't feel so hot, right? You're just a little depressed, right? It's okay. It happens. We're dirt. What's your reaction to that? Let's go get some donuts, maybe a half a gallon of Bluebell, and watch uh, a movie. Because it makes us feel better, right? You get an endorphin release from food. You get some entertainment. You get your mind thinking about something else. When, when you have a special evening with, with your child or with your spouse, I mean, you just can't wait because they're the, the love of your life, right? What do you like to do with them? I know we'll go watch the Avengers. I'm not saying that the Avengers is a horrible thing, but I do want to tell you this. Why is it that our most treasured moments with our most treasured people do not center around a flowing love from the throne? When's the last time that for your date night with your spouse you said, let's go worship together, honey? Uh, Come on, man. Let's go pray together. When is the last time you told your children, let's sit and talk about the missionaries? You know what? You can do it. You can be just like them, baby. You might shake the world. Where is our living water flowing from? Are we digging our own cisterns and then we're surprised by the results that the water leaks out? This is not that holiness message that says don't enjoy nothing. I mean, even eat your food without salt, right? Do it. Torture the flesh. Wear a burlap sack. Get an ugly haircut. God will be pleased with it. It's absurd. What I'm trying to say is where is your beating heart? Where is the passion of your life? And don't lie to yourself. Don't say, well, it's somewhere other than what is obviously represented in my life. That's data denial, friends. If your life was printed on paper, what would somebody else say about the reading of your life? Spend 99% of your time doing selfish things. Or 99% of your time looking to do something with the living God. See, we cannot dig for ourselves our own cisterns. Turn me to Jeremiah 15 while we're here. I don't know how I am supposed to preach so many things in such a short time. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, that's my sentiment today. Uh, let me just show you Jeremiah 15.1. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses, Samuel, were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Boy, is that ugly? I don't know about you, but that'd be pretty deflating. <laughs> for me to hear. How about verse 6? You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep on backsliding. You know, I can't help but notice I, I was in a church not long ago and every testimony that I heard, I mean every single testimony 
was I served the Lord and then I backslid for these years. Then I served the Lord and then I backslid for these years. Then I served the Lord and I backslid for these years. And then they're standing there giving the testimony. And I'm just going, well, what year are we in, friend? Is it even worth hearing you out? This is not a good testimony. You know what? At some point, you better recklessly abandon yourself to God or you might find the limit to His grace. Look at this. So I will lay my hands on you and destroy you. I can no longer show compassion. This is God speaking. I can no longer show compassion. I will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the city gates of the land. I will bring bereavement and destruction on my people for they have not changed their ways. What is the proof of what source you're drinking from? Come on, if, 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 I am, uh, if I'm drinking honey every day, it's eventually going to show up somewhere, isn't it? I can tell you it's water, but it's going to show up somewhere. If you're drinking from the Spirit of God every day, it's going to show up in your life. Amen. Did you hear what was, what was being used? A winnowing fork. A winnowing fork is an instrument of separation. It's an instrument of division. You plunge it into something that all looks the same, like wheat. And you throw the wheat into the air after it's been beaten. The fork stabs the wheat, throws it into the air, and the wind separates it. Chaff gets blown off, and grain falls to the ground. Let us go to Matthew, the third chapter. Rejecting the Lord, habitual backsliding, reaching the end of compassion because they would not change their ways. I would like to tell you on the subject of Jesus did not die to make bad men good men. He died to make dead men live. Hearing a message like this and deciding to be a better person will not help you. You cannot do it. You are habitually flawed, part of a diseased stock that goes all the way back to Adam. There's never been a human being that could simply do good things. No matter how good you think your family heritage is, your church pedigree, whatever it is, you are a 100% grade A broken sinner. Unless the Spirit of God is in you making you more than dirt. This is how we aspire to be saints. This is how we are the arising church coming to be something more than we were uh, yesterday. This is the resurrection power of God that is to work in us. You're in Matthew 3. I baptize you with water for repentance. Who is speaking? This is John the baptizer. He was not Baptist, not to break anybody's heart. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I want you to hear this. You are baptized once for repentance. This is a salvation kind of act. But you are baptized with the Holy Spirit repetitively forever as often as you breathe. You are baptized. You only get saved one time, friends, but you get empowered every time you need it. You simply need to ask for it. He said, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Look at this 12th verse. His winnowing fork is in his hand. There is no mention mention of a winnowing fork anywhere in the Old Testament canon of Scripture other than Jeremiah 15. So what do you think he's talking about? If the only Bible he had to read consisted of the 39 books of the Old Testament and he chose to use the word winnowing fork, what do you think he is talking about? His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable 
He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and there's two baptisms that are available. You can be completely, completely immersed in unquenchable fire or you can be completely immersed in His Spirit. It is a dramatically wrong interpretation of this verse to say Jesus wants to baptize you in fire. The absolute proof of that is in Mark 1.8. He leaves it out and He says He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This was the intention of God. To put His Spirit in you so you would become more than dirt. The ones that get baptized with fire are separated by the winnowing fork because of habitual backsliding. Because of a heart that will not change the ways. A heart that has exchanged the glory of God for something idolatrous. Broken cisterns. And God says, if you will not be moved by my spirit, then I will burn you. Is that not scary? That scares me. And at the same time that it scares me, I also have this inner witness that says I'm not moved by fear to be filled with His presence. I'm moved by love. I like Him. Yes. I, I have tasted and seen that He's good. No person here was meant for fire. The Scripture says that that place was actually created for the devil and his angels. The only way to get there is to become devilish. What is more devilish than saying, God, I resist your spirit. Your spirit won't rule me. My intellect will. My religious feelings will. My sense of what is right and wrong will. Where did that get man in the garden? I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen speaks of a good father who knows how to give good gifts. How much more then will he give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? Come on, how do I know that it's for me? How do I know there's more of it for me? Because he's a good father said, but what about me? It's not about you. It's about Him. He knows what you need. To His nation in Ezekiel 36, He said, I will put My Spirit in you. I'll cure your backsliding. I'll fix it. I will show Myself holy through you to the nations. Though you've profaned My name, He said. If we ask, He will fix our problems. But it starts with dependency on Him. It starts with drinking of Him. It starts with knowing that there can be no... It starts with saying, Create in me a clean heart. Out of absolutely nothing, Lord, because there's not much that's good in here. Would you create in me a miraculous thing? Would you put into this dirt something that is heavenly, that it might represent you? Come on now. Like a, like a jar of clay with an all-surpassing glory in it. Why don't we go to John 7? Would that be okay? Yeah. yeah. Convicted, mad, sad, tired, bored? No. Steve said something to me this morning. He said, man, I'm reading a John Eldridge book. I think it was Wild at Heart. He goes, man, your trip did, uh, it did something to me. Of course it did. We were built for the fight. We were built to know that we're standing against something that if we don't have God's power in us, we won't stand. We were not going to play it safe to hide on our couches in our comfy living rooms. We were not. That's why people are having everything that you can have in life and it doesn't feel like life still. That's why. This is why the young man who has every gift that you could give a suburban teenager, including a suburban, right? He's riding deep. No matter what, you know, but what's he doing? He's listening to the, the disaffected music of a young man whose life is filled with, with a feeling of injustice from the inner city, right? What would make that kid in, in the suburban neighborhood be drawn to that? 
somehow or another, we know that we were meant for a struggle. We know it. There's, there's more to life. We're supposed to be contending with the enemy. There's got to be something in us that says, on a snowy day, I want to go down into the pit and I want to kill the enemy. Yes. I was born for this. And when you deny people this, when you deny it, when you say, sit and learn, sit and learn, sit and learn, sit and soak, don't do anything, it'll threaten your pastor. It's a recipe for death. It's the Dead Sea. It is the Dead Sea. So life-changing ministries from this point forward will always be a family of ministries. It is no longer a ministry that you participate in. It is a collection of ministries. It may extend to other states. It may extend to your home. But it is a collection of ministries because our job was to prepare you for works of service. That is our job. Not for you to sit and listen to us. You were born for this fight. And I'm saying, join us. Join us. Get in it. Drink deep. You're going to need it if you're going to walk next to us. Because I'm in over my head. Yeah. Let's go to John 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because of the Jews. That means the Jewish leadership, because everybody in Israel was a Jew. <laughs> uh, there they were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was near, come on now, when the Feast of Tabernacles was near, I haven't had time to teach on this today about the Tabernacles, but I would like to tell you that there were seven feasts in Israel, and by the time you reached the seventh month and the seventh feast, it was supposed to be miraculous. It was supposed to be something that changed the whole world. On the Feast of Tabernacles, if you look at the number of bulls that were killed each day, and you add them up, you get to the number 70. And this is because when the rabbis looked at Genesis 10 and the table of nations, they said Ham had this many sons, Shem had this many sons, and Japheth had this many sons. That's everybody who got off Noah's boat, right? So they said all mankind are represented in their sons, and there were 70 of them. So, you know, if there's a Soviet Union, we have like seven less nations. If the Soviet Union disbands, then all of a sudden we have more nations. Right now we're above 200 at times in our history. We've been well below 200 as far as nations in the world. The Jews are so simplistic about some of this. They said, no, everybody goes back to Hamshim and Japheth's sons, so there are 70 nations. These are just branches, if you will. The way God set up the Feast of Tabernacles was that when Israel's feast schedule was done, when they had been atoned for as a nation. They would build lean-tos, temporary shelters. That would symbolize this tent of flesh that you have. They would go sleep outside to commemorate the time that they were in tents and they followed the presence of God and they were made into something new. This would be so that every nation, all seven, would see the witness of God. God's glory, His ark in a tent of flesh. Saying, you can be more than a tent. You can be more than temporary. You can be more. And on the Feast of Tabernacles, they sacrificed a total of 70 bulls in seven days. Symbolizing that the whole world would have a shot at salvation. The entire world. God always took a group of 12, something like 12 apostles. And He poured into them special revelation like the 12 tribes. But His goal was always to reach all 70 of the nations through them. This is why Jesus chose 12 apostles and then later 70 followers and he sent the 12 apostles to the 12 tribes, but he sent the 70 followers to the whole world. 
That's why the different instructions were given. It's why in Exodus 15, when Moses is coming through the desert, he comes to Elim. What was Elim? It's an oasis, right? It's like the Garden of Eden. And what was there? Twelve springs and 70 palm trees. Twelve sources of life that would feed the whole world. This is a repetitive picture. So that if in scene one we see something like it, and in scene two we see something like it, by the end of the movie you're like, oh, I, I got it. I love you each know? other. The notebook. Uh, or whatever it might be. You know? I mean, can't remember who each other are, and yet there's something undying about love. In there? So this is what the Feast of Tabernacles represented. John 7 starts by telling you it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus has an argument with his natural brothers that we don't have time to cover. Skip on down with me to say verse 37. On the last and the greatest day of the feast. Now this is one of those things where uh, how long do kids get off school for, for Christmas? Two weeks. And on the day that they get off, what do they say? I'm out for Christmas. It's Christmas break, right? Is it really Christmas? No, it's not Christmas yet. And three days after Christmas, they're still out for Christmas. Christmas. The feast uh, incorporated activities over several days. And on the last and the greatest day of the feast, they sang Isaiah 12. That's what I started Wednesday night service with. Isaiah 12 is about singing with joy for uh, you're drawing water from the wells of salvation and the whole nations will know about it. Israel sang about Isaiah 12 on the last and greatest day of the feast because they realized somehow or another God's deposited with us, kind of like Abraham in that tamarisk tree with the well, something that we're supposed to mark for all nations to drink from. It's for everybody. Are you getting the significance of that? One nation that's supposed to show the way for everyone? What a responsibility, because you have the same responsibility now. On that last and greatest day of the feast, the priest would be singing this. Do you know what they're carrying? They're carrying a golden vessel on their shoulders, a golden jar. Now, if you're like me, you've not seen just an awful lot of gold amassed in one place. <laughs> I mean, my wedding band's about all the gold in our house. I might be able to raid Jennifer's jewelry box when we were teenagers. I bought her a few things, not many cents. It seems our relationship would have to be founded on something else. If I walked in here with that jar back there that the offering box is on, by the way, if you've never seen that jar, there's an offering box on it. <laughs> if I walked in here with that offering box, no, the jar, and it was gold, you know, you think the little kids would notice? It'd catch our attention. It was filled with water, and they sang about the wells of salvation, and then they walked over to 12 clay jars, earthen vessels, and they poured from the, from the well of salvation into the 12 earthen vessels. You get the symbolism? Yeah. What God has given us, what He's poured into just regular earthly jars, was always for all the people to drink. And the Feast of Tabernacles is all about that. And on that last and greatest day, while that is happening, probably at the zenith, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Come on now. And in here descends the theologians. What did he mean by that? Oh, well, I think that what he meant is when you're saved, you get a measure of the Spirit, and then, and then that's, that's just what it is. Aren't you glad that John wrote what he meant by it? It's the next verse. 
By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I'm going to tell you a secret. Even after he is glorified, he breathes on them and says, Receive my Spirit. And you know what? They did. And then in Acts 2, they received his Spirit again. And then everywhere the apostles went, they asked believers things like, did you receive the Spirit since you believed? We hadn't heard there is a Holy Spirit in Acts 19. And they prayed for them, and they received the Spirit. Now this argument about, well, is, is that all, or did they already have, and it's more, let's get over it. How much water is in the spring? It's unlimited. It's unlimited. You can't even quantify it. It's an underground river that has suddenly shown up out of the ground for all to drink. You know when you notice that, a, that a, a, a well doesn't have enough water in it? When it's out. Come on, so is that what we want to argue about? Those who are out of water? I would just hold out, rather tap into the inexhaustible source. Amen. Amen. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's theological <coughs> feelings this morning. I, I'm not here to debate these things because you know, the man with the experience is not at the mercy of the man who merely has an argument. I've tasted of the apple. I don't need to debate with you what it tastes like. I, I have it. I've tasted it. I'm dependent upon it. I, I, I love the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Why as Christians are we so fearful to ask questions like, do I have to? Shouldn't our heart be, do I get to? Shouldn't that be our heart? Do I have to go on the mission field? Do I have to witness? Do I have to tithe? Do I have to? Do I have to? Do I? We're always asking, can I be saved without doing it? What are we really asking? Do I have to be baptized to be saved? What are we really asking? What we're really saying is, Lord, I'm going to lay claim to everything in heaven on earth, earth that I want the minimum. That's kind of where we are. By we, I just mean the church of our time. That's where we are. Lord, I want the minimum. We'll settle for an escalade that says the apostle, but we will not live like the apostles. The charismatic clowns, these idiots that are masquerading as peddlers of funds, prosperity pimps, they have changed the gospel into something that is ridiculous. They've made it about earthly gratification when it was always about a heavenly endowment. It was always about an empowerment. It has always been about God breathing into us. Now, that's probably enough preaching there. But I've never been satisfied with enough. I've always wanted to go for more. I've always wanted to push further. Could we read John 8, just a little bit of it? I think it'll change the way that you view the Scripture. Here comes John 8, 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? Do you remember we read in Jeremiah about men who knew the law but didn't know God? Was the heart of God to condemn dirt? He knew it was dirt when he called it. The heart of God was to breathe life into dirt. And there's a thing. Before you can be filled with God's presence, you have to be set right in God's presence. 
He will not empower somebody to be more wicked. He will not let uh, flesh glory in his presence. So he requires of you to be born again, to be saved, before he infills you with his power. The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit in the way that a born-again believer can because that believer has been credited with Christ's righteousness. So he can have all of the Spirit that Jesus had, as much as he'll yield to. But the world cannot receive him, Jesus said in the Gospel of John. These people are accurately saying what the law says in this part of it, but they don't accurately have the heart of God. If they really wanted to enforce the law, they would have brought the man as well. But they didn't. Because they didn't really care about the law. They were actually willing to kill this woman just to prove a point with Jesus. That's never the heart of God, to win a religious argument. I want you to understand when I'm talking to you about being filled with the Spirit, I'm not trying to win a religious argument. I'm not here to say that what I think is better than what you think or what you've been taught. I am desperately wanting to see dirt become more than dirt. Yeah. I want to see people filled with power. Yeah. So Jesus, Jesus does something here that is rather amazing. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Turn to Jeremiah 17. Pages are stuck together. In Jeremiah 17, look at this, 13th verse. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord. What's that next phrase? The spray of living water. Now, we've heard thousands of sermons on what Jesus was writing in the dirt. Well, maybe he was writing their names. Maybe he was writing their sins, blah, blah, blah. Jeremiah says very clearly what he's writing. He's writing them down because it is them who have rejected the source of living water. And yet they brought this woman to show her guilty. So let me ask you, what does Jesus do? He dismisses the accuser. He says, are you without sin? He did the very same thing to the devil. The book of Colossians says, you now stand free from accusation. You now stand free from accusation. He dismissed the accuser so that he could deal with the woman without that annoying uh, liar there. Colossians 1.22 says, you now stand free from accusation. What else did he do? He says, woman, has nobody condemned you? No one, sir. <coughs> Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus instead accused the religious establishment of not having her best interest in mind and not really following the Lord. He dismissed the people who would kill her for their own benefit. And instead, after dismissing the accuser, said, Do you see that when you stand with me, you stand free from condemnation? Go leave your life of sin. Is it enough to hear this morning, that Jesus loves you and He doesn't want to condemn you? Oh, it's a great start. It really is. Jesus loves you and He has dismissed the accuser. He has thrown Satan out of the heavenly courtroom. He has no more access to the living God. The scene in Job will never happen again. Revelation 12 has Him cast down. You now stand free from accusation. But you know what? As good as that is, 
That's only about half of the story. Because if Jesus said to you right now, Brent, you are free from accusation. Go sin no more. Brent still has to have the power to do that. Yes. Or else next week, even though nobody's accusing him, where is he? Exactly. He's back in the same situation. Now, am I not describing the religious life of most church attenders? Right. I'm here again. Lord, I'm asking you to rescue me, but I know good and well next week I will be here again and again. <coughs> I know this because there's 52 weeks in a year, and for as long as I can think, I've never really had power over this. I've just professed the love for you. We can argue about whether that's salvation all day long, and I, I just don't feel like it today. I think getting people saved without seeing them filled with the power of God is like giving a soldier an M16, putting him in front of the enemy, and not giving him a bullet. When Jesus died on that cross, he tore the curtain in the temple from top to bottom. He did that because he wanted to show access to the presence and power of God for every human being. Why stop short? Amen. Come on now. Are we really going to stand before Jesus and say, I wanted the introduction, but I didn't want the rest of the book? When you read the clear historical testimony of the book of Acts, they were filled with the Spirit of God. Certain signs followed them. It is impossible to deny if you simply read it. Impossible. By the time we get to Acts 10 and Acts 11, Cornelius is filled with the Holy Spirit and Peter gives an accounting to his brothers and he said, they received the Holy Spirit, they Gentiles, in the same manner that we did, for we heard them speaking in other tongues. They, Gentiles, that's half the world, and we Jews, the other half, and it was the same manner, for we heard them speaking in other tongues. I don't want to argue it with anybody. I just want to say, are you hungry? Because the normative experience for the first century Christian was that they were baptized in God's Spirit, that they spoke in other tongues and eagerly desired prophecy and healings were commonplace. And the power of God made the church something more than just a tent, more than just dirt. I think we desperately need an infusion of His breath. Amen. My prayer, JJ, come up here and play with us. My prayer is that He would nashima today, that the breath of life would enter into us, that His power would enter into us. I have no vested interest in checking some secret checklist off that says, I got my merit badge today. I'm not trying to make the world Pentecostal. I don't even know what category I fit in if we're completely honest. All I really want is all of the Lord that there is to be had. And I know in my life after being sincerely born again, touched from on high, an audible voice came to me that changed my life and forced my body to the ground. I was still hungry. I didn't know how any of this worked and I went to my religious leaders and they said, relax, stay like we are, that stuff doesn't exist anymore. And I believed them until it happened to me. And you know what? 
It has been like gas on a fire. I was told those people who do these things are into the flesh. Satan is what causes people to speak in other tongues. I was actually told by my pastor. The funny thing that happened is the more I prayed in tongues, the more I loved Jesus. And I just couldn't believe Satan could do that. Then I began to wonder what his motivations were and who had a role in that. See, the religious system protects its broken cisterns. It does, because if you found out it was broken, you wouldn't invest anymore in it. And they're all about their buildings, aren't they? They're all about the show. I think we need to forget about the container and look at the substance, friends. Amen. I think that's what we have to do. My heart here is that we worship for a few minutes. We don't know if they leave here until 1230 anyway, right? Sometimes later than that. J.J. wrote a song. It's a beautiful song. I thought we could worship together and see what happens. If your heart is that you might experience something more of God, I don't care what's happened in your past. I don't care if you've experienced eight of the nine spiritual gifts with serious proficiency. If you eagerly desire something more, as the Apostle Paul told us, you're going to be men up here who will pray for you. We're, we're not videotaping you. We're not watching you. This is between you and the Lord. We're simply ambassadors. And I tell you what, anybody I pray for, I will require you to pray for me. For, for I'll just dare you. But I have found out that he loves dirt. Amen. He loves it. Thank you, Jesus. Because he can hold it in his hand, and it'll belong to him. And he can put something of himself into it, and it becomes his image. His image for the whole world. And you know what? It's just like those natives when they saw rain coming out of the earth, and it was a miracle. When the Holy Spirit flows out of you, the world will take notice. That's just how it goes. My brother's going to sing. I'm going to stand here and worship. Matthew's going to stand here and worship. If you want to be prayed for for something, then come. If you are just too shy and, and it, not something you want to do, I'll pray for you anywhere. This is not for our church's show. It is for your empowerment. That's what it's for. But if you have that urgency like I do, that says, I can't wait. I can't wait. I don't want to go another five minutes. Jason Limbers called me in the mid-90s. And he said, everybody I got born again with has fallen away. I need the baptism in the Spirit. I said, Jason, it's, it's Tuesday. I'll see you Wednesday. He said, I can't wait till Wednesday, Eric. I might not make it. I said, well, I don't get off till 7.30. He goes, I, I'll meet you at 8. We unlocked a storefront church just like this one at 8 o'clock. And the thirsty got drunk. Thank you, Jesus. Life's never been the same. It's been far from perfect. But he's still here, isn't he? Amen. Amen. I still see Jesus in his eyes just like that scared, scrappy kid that I met back then. Except now he's more than that. He's got his own. He's got his own. Come on, the world is watching. Will they see water come out of the well? Or will they see it stopped up with us? Say, brother, let's worship with you.